Howdy, everybody. Um, now that uh, Cheryl Crow has pumped all of us up um, to talk voting rights, I think we'll get started. Um, I, I'm Jim Malowitz. I'm a reporter with the Texas Tribune. Um, and on behalf of my employer, uh, welcome to TribFest. Um, you've probably heard the, the whole spiel um, uh, so far. Th thank you for um, uh, being with us here at the end of the day to talk about voting rights. Um, uh, even, even after um, sitting through all these other panels, it's good to see that everybody's interested in the fundamental part of democracy and all that. Um, and so, um, like all the other panels, uh, we'll go um, 60 minutes um, with 15 of those about uh, for, for Q&A. Um, and I just want to introduce uh, the, the folks with me here today um, to talk race voting in the courts. Um, to my left, we have uh, uh, Bert Solomon. He's a former state rep. Um, who is a real estate attorney, um, and he, he was in the Texas House um, representing uh, North Texas's District 65 from 1995 to 2003, and he served as the chairman of the House Redistricting Committee 2013. during... 2013. Uh, 2013, yeah. yeah. And he served as the uh, chairman of the House Redistricting yeah. Committee, um, <laughs> which, of course, uh, drew um, the map uh, following the uh, 2010 census. Um, and then we have State Representative uh, Eddie Rodriguez. Um, he's an Austin Democrat. Um, he's represented uh, House District 51 since 2003, uh, sits on the House Environmental Regulation, Redistricting, and State Affairs Committee, and he's the chairman of the House Farm to Table Caucus and the policy chairman of the Mexican-American Legislative Caucus, and he is a plaintiff in the legal challenges to both the uh, Texas voter ID um, law and the electoral maps uh, that are still going on. Um, then we have uh, Naomi uh, Narvaez. Um, she's the um, member of the uh, Texas State Republican Executive Committee. Um, she has sat on that committee um, since 2012, representing Senate District tw uh, 21. She serves as the Ethics Review Commissioner for the city of San Marcos. And uh, she founded the <coughs> Hayes County Republican Women's Club and the San Marcos Area Republican Texans Group, and where she sits on the board. Um, and then we have uh, Michael Lee, um, he is, serves as the senior counsel um, for the Brennan Center's Democracy Program, which supports uh, overhauling the redistricting process to make it more transparent and, um, and uh, so forth. Uh, he, he runs a go-to blog for redistricting nerds, and uh, he uh, previously uh, practiced law at Baker Botts um, in Dallas and served as executive director of B1 Texas, which works to increase voter participation. Uh, last but certainly not least, we have... Um, Representative Eric Johnson. He's a Democrat from Dallas, uh, representing House District um, 100 since uh, 2010. Um, serves as vice chairman of the House Redistricting Committee, which we might talk about never met last session. Um, and he has um, um, some thoughts about that. Um, and he uh, also sits on the Investments and Financial Services Committee and Ways and Means Committee, um, as well as the Select Committee on State, Federal Power, and Responsibility. He's a an attorney at uh, Andrews Kurth Kenyon LLP. Um, so, first, I just want to uh, situate us here. Um, as many of you probably know, Texas is uh, defending itself in a, in a whole lot of uh, Voting Rights Act lawsuits right now. Uh, mainly, um, you hear most about the challenges to the state's house and congressional map, um, the, the boundaries, um, as well as uh, the voter ID law um, that was uh, passed in uh, 2011. And uh, this year, it seems like we're getting bombarded with, with rulings coming out of those cases, even if they're six years in the making. Um, and it includes five rulings that the state intentionally discriminated against uh, voters of color. These are federal court rulings 
Um, these are, of course, all also under appeal right now. And during one nine-day stretch last month, Texas saw four voting rights rulings uh, of various types go against it. So first, I just want to put a question to uh, Michael. Is this normal? Is this as extraordinary as it seems for me? Because it seems like every time I'm writing some, one story, all of a sudden I have to pause to write another one about another ruling. Yeah, um, so first of all, I want to um, compliment you on those amazing boots. I mean, I think those are the best boots of the, of the festival. Um, so um, in, in some sense, it is normal. You know, Texas has struggled for 40-plus years to draw maps that are fair to its African-American and Latino citizens, um, and that was the case when, when Democrats were in control and it's the case when Republicans are in control. Um, and, you know, the systematically underrepresenting African-Americans and Latinos could help you engineer an advantage for one or the other party. Um, but this decade was really, in a lot of ways, very extraordinary, and that's because... Um, you know, Texas, so let's, let's set the stage. I mean, Texas, it, between 2000 and 2010, grew by 4.3 million people, the fastest growing state by far in the country. Um, out of that, 65% of that population growth is a Latino. Another 23% is African-American. So almost 90% of the state's population gain is African-American or Latino, mostly Latino. If you add the Asians in, you get to 90%. Um, and that led to some really, um, you know, and, and you know, it took place right after the 2008 election and Barack Obama being, um, you know, having been elected and then you have a, a Republican wave in 2010. Um, and by all accounts, uh, the map throwing was extraordinarily aggressive. Um, you know, the advantages that were locked in, particularly on the congressional map, um, are, were among some of the worst in the country. And um, again, the way that you do this in a state like Texas where uh, Democrats are disproportionately black and brown is you disadvantage black and brown people. Um, and a lot of that looks really intentional in the, the rulings of intentional discrimination. You know, Texas has, every plan that Texas has passed since 1970 has had some kind of voting rights or constitutional problem. Uh, this decade is the first that the plans have been found to have been intentionally discriminatory, not just once, but multiple times by courts here in Texas and by courts in Washington. Um, and and that, that really is extraordinary. And Rep Representative um, Solomons, um, since, since you were, um, uh, I, I was wondering if you could, you, you could speak a little bit about how messy this process can be since you were um, you know, head of the, the committee in, in 2011 that, that dealt with the um, um, new census figures that, that Michael just described. Um, and uh, was there any sort of... Um, um, you know, order from state leadership or, or anything um, that, that uh, gave you a sense of you need to figure out a way to deal with these um, booming minority um, populations and figure out a way to um, make sure that uh, Republicans still kind of kept those majorities by... No, it's a responsibility them. we have under the Constitution to redistrict every 10 years or, or occasionally in between. Um, but... <laughs> Um, at, the end of the, at the end of the day, though, it is a process that most people really aren't familiar with. I mean, I'm, as, as you said, James, I, you know, I'm a real estate lawyer. I'm not a voting rights lawyer. I'm not Michael Lee and understand everything there is about redistricting, but I got nominated, I got appointed as chairman of the committee based on my experience of, of committee work and handling large committees. And we tried to, and I had that responsibility to try to put together something that we could put together. It's an entire messy process. It's the most partisan thing we do. The, in 2011, we had 101 Republicans. Um, it wasn't balanced or closer as it might have been in 19, 
what, 97 or 99, you know, it was, um, it was 101 Republicans. And it's the most partisan thing Democrats and Republicans do. And um, to, we were responsible for passing four bills the, for the Senate State Board of Education, the Texas House map, the Texas Senate map, and the congressional map. The chairman on the Senate side was Senator Seliger, and he took on the responsibility of the Senate map and the uh, uh, congressional map, and I took on the responsibility <coughs> of seeing what we could do for 150 districts on the House map and the State Board of Education map. And um, when you uh, think about it, um, it is very incumbent-driven because uh, we don't have an independent commission. We don't use the computer algorithms to try to come up with presumptive, presumptive di uh, districts. We have a Red Apple program that's highly uh, technical and very very good for what it does. Hopefully, it'll be even better. You don't even get your uh, final, uh, all the statistical data uh, until like May. I mean, I don't know why we're drawing maps and starting to maps, starting to try to draw maps in February and March with, you know, about only about a half of half of the data we're going to get to actually draw them. And uh, the only way you can actually pass a map, and I think we passed all four, which hadn't been done in what forty years or something like that. But it's an incumbent-driven. I, you know. It was a process of how do you go about doing that. You just don't run around, draw whatever you think, and hand it to them and say, this is going to be your new map. That's not the way it works in the system that we have in place in this state and probably most of the other states in this country. It is a very partisan, incumbent kind of driven process. And, and can you describe, just so we can kind of get a better sense of it in, in our minds, I mean, you mentioned this Red Apple program that gives you um, just tons and tons of information about uh, you mm -hmm. know, demographics and, and, and the geography. Um, so, but you as a lawmaker, obviously you're presiding over the, the hearings and you're taking input, but are you, you, you have staff that actually looks at, at the, the computer and, and, yeah. and how, how districts I would, I would say some of the members, some of the House members, some of the Senate members probably knew Red Apple and how to use it pretty well. And for most of us, our staffs had to learn it, and we have a whole cadre of people behind us uh, with lawyers and people all involved in the redistricting process that, we, uh, that actually draw maps. We had to, as a committee, hire uh, a lawyer who supposedly knows something about voting rights and, and re at least redistricting and how to really use a uh, Red Apple program to help members draw their districts and their staff draw districts. So you've got this whole cadre of people behind you are actually telling you what you sort of can do, can't do, how best to draw it, based on the information you have. And we were getting information, you kind of get information when we need anyway, piecemeal through the time. Now, if we had had all the information and we had our, our, our sessions maybe in starting in September and had until December to draw maps, we would have had everything in place. But the way we do it here in the state of Texas, and like, like I said, a lot of other states, it is um, very much uh, incumbent driven. Um, no one's really giving you orders that you need to draw this over here for this minority group or you need to draw this or do this. It's a matter of if you want to try to pass a map, you have to get enough votes to pass a map. And that is based on politicians who are looking at their districts, trying to figure out what's best for them based on the information they have, what they think they can draw. A number of the minority districts are already, are already protected. And they can do some things in between on between between those districts if they're adjoining each other. So, you know, from the redistricting standpoint, the chair, you know, from my perspective, I had some authority as to where we started drawing the map. It's like a big puzzle. I can make a few decisions here and there. My goal was to try to get people to agree adjoiningly 
uh, the districts and the counties. I left it to folks who were in those counties, who know those districts, those counties, try to come up with your own maps, um, see what we can pass, eventually get enough information, we can take some of the floor. Plus, we have 140 days. It's not like we have four months to do this, you know, actually of drawing maps. You get to start early. We didn't, I didn't get appointed, for example, and the committees weren't finally appointed for redistricting in the House until the day, I, I knew that the Speaker Strauss was gonna appoint me as chairman, he wanted to appoint me as chairman of redistricting, literally the afternoon before the appointments came out. Yeah. So, I had no idea. And so I, I do want to get and back. And I've never been on the committee before. So, okay. you know, I'm going to be the chair of redistricting. Yeah, and, and, and I do want to get back to you in a little bit uh, later in the discussion about is, That's how it is this a good idea um, uh, yeah. to do it this way. <laughs> no. Um, no, but, it's uh, not. <laughs> he's no. got some opinions. It can be improved. Uh, right. But uh, uh, Rep Representative Rodriguez, I, I, I wonder what you say, you know, as someone who's a, a, a lead, who, who's, a, who's a plaintiff in, in this uh, redistricting lawsuit and, and voter ID, but if we talk redistricting, I mean, what do you say to those who, who say, you know, they talk about this, it's a messy process, it's, it's partisan. Um, what do you say to those who, who kind of, you know, downplay the role that, that, that race played in, in drawing these lines? Well, I mean, I think look at it right now, I mean, Texas is batting a thousand on intentional discrimination when it comes to, you know, redistricting and voter ID. Uh, so what do I say? I say that, I think Michael Lee started, uh, mentioned it, I think it's really important that right now the line between, you can't just look at Democrat and Republican, it's not that simple, right? Because I think you look at the, the ethnic and racial makeup of those parties, generally speaking, are people that identify as Democrat or Republican. Now you start seeing this thing, it's where you were saying, okay, we're going to pack Democrats, well, that's not necessarily unconstitutional, although we do have a case before the Supreme Court, a uh, Gill, I think is what it's called, uh, that, that might address that. But, uh, but when, you're, when you're putting a bunch of Democrats in one district, what essentially and effectively what you're doing is putting more African-Americans and Latinos also in those districts. And then you run to that problem of potentially packing, mm -hmm. right? But it could always be seen in the, the guise of, well, we're just going to put Democrats, more Democrats in a district and more Republicans in this district and whatnot. Uh, to make these, but but I think I think Bert's absolutely correct. It is a messy process. I mean, I've I've gone through several. I was a staffer uh, in the in the, for the 2001 redistricting, and I got familiar with Red Apple and I understood all that data. I will just kind of say that that data is kind of updated on a very regular basis. I mean, you don't may not have the census data because that's not official yet, but but a lot of the data is updated pretty regularly, so you have a pretty good good idea. Uh, um, I mean, I think it's just part of that, that, whole, that whole process of looking at it as just Democrat or Republican. The effect of that is really, you cannot ignore, you know, the African, the minority impact on that when you, when you look at it that way. And I'm not suggesting that Burt was ignoring that. I'm, what I'm suggesting is, is that when that reasoning is discussed, you cannot logically ignore the racial makeup of, these, of, the, par of the two political parties. Right? There, there are effects from partisan there are effects from the partisanship of it. Right. Uh, that can be true. But the law, you know, Michael can speak to this, I can't, but the law seems to be sort of ongoing, fact, case by case, state by state, map by map. It's not, there are some general rules of what you're supposed to do, but whether or not you violated that rule is sort of how you know, the courts have to sort of look at it and make their decision whether or not you did what you were supposed to do or well, not. Well, certainly that was, that's true before we had the, the Shelby case now. So now we don't have preclearance anymore, so we don't have anybody to look at it and say, hey, what you did was discriminatory, right? 
Um, I mean, the, 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 the law is clear. I mean, Michael, you're the expert here. The law is clear. You can't discriminate against minorities when you're drawing the, the lines. If that's very broad, it has, it's kind of silent uh, on, on the partisan aspect of it. But I think where Bert is correct is that, you know, it is drawn by legislators, right? So I'm going to look at protect, you know, what's my district like? I'm going to care about that a great deal, right? Uh, and so when you do that, you, you look at uh, protecting incumbency. And it's, I mean, anyone who, who's a legislator that says they don't think about that is not being completely honest with you. It's just whether you're a Republican or Democrat, you are here for a reason and you want to serve as a legislator and you don't want to be redistricted out of your district. Representative Johnson, you yeah, want to I want to jump, jump in, in here and make one point while we're on this, sure. this topic of you know, the interplay of you know, race or party in this process. And I, with all due respect to what's been said before, I, I want to just provide a little bit of historical context to this. Um, you know, the hats of the folks in charge in the South and that, you know, the folks who've been um, in the driver's seat when this process has come up has changed over time. It's been Republican, it's been Democrat. Mm -hmm. But what has never changed are the groups that were intended to be held down electorally. That's never changed. That's always been, that's always been African Americans and Latinos. That's always been the target of the effort, whether it was Republican or Democrat. I look at redistricting as just part of sort of an onslaught over years on the ability of minorities to affect political power in the South. So I look at redistricting in, in combination with things like prison-based gerrymandering in conjunction with felony disenfranchisement and things like that that all work together. Voter ID, same thing. All these things work together to achieve what's always been the goal, which is to make sure that ethnic minorities punch underneath their weight. That's what it's always been about. And to me, this is, um, you know, has to be looked at in the context of these other forms. Like, the, I think the seminar today or the, the panel discussion today is about race and voting. That's, that's the right topic because uh, this is just one of the ways in conjunction with these other policies that were not accidental, they were intentional, you know, not counting prisoners where they live but where they are incarcerated, not making it automatic that people who come out of prison are able to vote again, making them have to go through some process or in some states in the South, you know, just a ban on them being able to participate. All of this stuff works together to work toward the goal of making sure that the power structure in the South has always been white folks on top, people of color underneath, and that's how I look at this. And I'll just add one, one last thing which is real quick on that is that I agree with everything you just said, but the Voting Rights Act hasn't changed either. That, the, the Voting Rights Act was meant to protect the voting rights of minorities, of those people. So we could talk about the law not being very clear on how you draw them, but the, the purpose, the intent of what we're trying to do is protect the voting rights of minority that has not, minorities, and that has not changed. And, and I was wondering, Michael, and, and I do want to get to you uh, soon. I have a question for you, uh, Naomi. Uh, um, but, but Michael, I, I was wondering. You know, we, we've talked about sort of um, the how how race and and party are are intertwined, and it, it is like a, a very difficult question to understand. Um, you know, is it okay to be um, you know our, our partisan um, our partisan motivations? okay, no matter what the outcome are, that's sort of the question. Can you talk a little bit about what 
in, in the rulings that we've had um, over the past year has been, like, what does the discrimination actually look like? Um, how, how the judges have um, described um, what, what was, you know, alleged as intentional discrimination compared to maybe um, some of the, uh, what we think about uh, in, 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 in the old days. Um, uh, can, can, can you talk about, like, what this actually right, looked like? Right. I, I mean, I, I do think it's important to sort of understand um, you know, what we mean by intentional discrimination. And, and a lot of times when you talk to people, they'll, they'll, they'll set up a straw man and say, oh my gosh, you know, no, we don't hate African-Americans or Latinos. I, you know, I work with colleagues all the time and they're African-American Latino. And, and you, know, you know, my dentist is an African-American and, and, you know, I don't have any problem with that. Um, and, you know, they set up sort of a straw man as though you're accusing them of being members of the Klan, right? And, and no one is sort of saying that. And, and you know, there's a great case um, out of California involving Los Angeles County where, you know, a um, Judge Kaczynski uh, says, let's say you live in a white neighborhood and you're white and uh, you have nothing, no problem with African-Americans or Latinos, but you, but your neighbors convince you that if African-Americans and Latinos start moving into your neighborhood, property values will plummet. And so your neighbors say, let's all sign a pact that says we are not going to sell our houses to African-Americans or Latinos. Have you discriminated in that instance? And Judge Kaczynski says, yes, uh, and clearly you have, right? I mean, you know, you've clearly sort of made a decision that you are not going to sell the house to African-American or Latino. And in other words, you've used a race tool to sort of accomplish something that you, is a legitimate thing. You don't want your property values to go down, but you can't use a race tool to do that. And in the same way, you can't sort of try to lock in political advantage by um, saying, oh, well, you know, we're just going to try to help Republicans to try to maintain this 101-seat majority or get all four of the new congressional seats because that's really important to us. You can't use race um, in, in, in that way. And, um, you know, unfortunately, it is a little bit mixed up um, right now because the Supreme Court has sort of left it <laughs> open. Um, you know, it's sort of set up this false binary as though it's either race or it's politics and somehow it can't be some kind of fusion of both and, and you know, maybe with a dose of religion mixed in there. Um, you know, and so uh, it, it is a little bit mixed up, but it, it, to, to address your question as to what the court found, you know, there were sort of a lot of deviations. You know, African-Americans were not really involved in the process. Latinos were not involved in the process. Um, you had maps in Texas that were drawn um, where Lamar Smith said, I would like the San Antonio Country Club to be in my district, and bam, it was put in there. But, but African-American members sort of had key things moved out of their district. Um, and, and sort of weakened and, um, you know, um, you know and, and, you know, in parts of the state, you found a lot of packing of African-Americans in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, um, which is the center of a lot of this litigation. Latinos were split into eight different congressional districts. There is no Latino member of Congress in Texas north of San Antonio, right? And, and so, um, you know, in, in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, Latinos were split up badly among eight different districts. The court remedied that a little bit. Um, but you see that also in the state house map. And, you know, there's, there's really no sort of justification, right? You can't justify it on the basis of we are trying to keep city lines together and do things like that. Because if you look at these districts, they badly split across city lines. You know, Grand Prairie is split in a million different ways. And, and you know, you, 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 there's no neutral reason for it other than trying to sort of keep this group down because keeping this group down will enable you to gain some kind of political advantage. And, you know, that, you know, you know, I'm sorry, like protecting Rodney Anderson isn't a sufficient enough justification for discriminating on the basis of race. You don't mind, I could, I'd like to jump in. Yeah. 
Well, it's clear, you know, from listening to all these gentlemen here that, you know, it, it is, it's become a mess. You know, this redistricting, you know, there's obviously problems, you know, with the maps. There's, you know, feelings that um, race plays um, a part in that. And um, as, a, as for myself, you know, these are my opinions. I'm not going to speak for the party, although I do sit on the SREC. But, um, you know, I believe that it's a, a situation where, yes, it is political. It's not, you know, as far as our party, the Republican Party, it, it is political. It's not um, based on race. Um, so... You know, I feel, you know, in listening to all this is, you know, what we what we really need, you know, is just men of conviction, you know, that are going to do what's honest, you know, for everybody and look at everybody, not in a race, you know, who's white, who's black, who's, you know, um, Asian or, or Hispanic, but look at everybody as American and, and divide that way. Um, when I look at, at where I live, you know, it's interesting to see that I have lived under uh, Democrat representatives for many years and um, Lloyd Doggett, you know, He's, he has his own district cut out. And um, is it that Democrats are saying that a white um, liberal um, is better representative of, uh, you know, uh, of, of minorities or, or Hispanics or, or, um, rather than a minority themselves? So, so, so and, and, and I guess um, uh, when you really get into this... Well, I can't, I can't let that go without yeah, saying something. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, um, this, just because, because, uh, because, well, that's Travis County, and because I was lead plaintiff on the case, you know, when it came to, it wasn't a, a case about Lloyd Doggett per se, it was more about Travis County representation, but, but, but let me just, just say that what we were trying, what, what my argument was that Austin had a, what was called a coalition kind of voting kind of system that we do as uh, Austinites, whether you're uh, Hispanic, African American, or Anglo, we vote for candidates. There, there, there are minorities sure. that have win that win countywide, and it's crossover voting essentially. So that's the. I'm I'm not suggesting that. Uh, I'm suggesting that that minorities in Travis County historically have voted for Lloyd Doggett, and that's why he's there. It's not that he he's there despite minority votes. So you would saying. say he's like I guess in the legal terms like the candidate of choice. Yeah, the candidate then, of choice um, of of those those right. communities. Then. Right. Um, and then when it, when Lloyd Doggett. Well, no, I, well, well, we don't always get what we want, right? Uh, That's true. Dan Patrick's not and my choice. So. <laughs> <laughs> I guess, um, but but uh, but he's still, you know, he's still he's still the lieutenant governor, whether it's my choice or not. He's the majority of the Texans' choice. And, and and I guess if we get to um, you know some of the key reasons that we talk about what these boundaries look like and. Um, uh, where people are casting votes, you know, you, know, you, you talk about um, there, there are um, communities that, that have their candidates of choice would maybe want to see um, people in office who, who look like them, who represent their values. And, and I guess, um, Naomi, I'm, I'm wondering, like, do you have an expl explanation for, I mean, the, the stat that was thrown out during the redistricting trial that I was at, which was kind of astounding, was that there are the same number um, of uh, Latinos um, in the Texas congressional um, delegation now as there were in 1970. And so I, I guess I'm wondering, like, do you have any hy hypotheses, you know, aside from, you know, the redistricting process or, or some of those decisions of, to why there are such low uh, percentages um, of um, people of color in um, in the state house or in Congress, uh, even when their their uh, population is growing so quickly. Um. Well, I'm not really. Um, 
No, I, re I guess I really don't well, as far as, um, you know, congressional. Um, and, and I guess, does, does it bother? Does, does it even, I mean, is that an issue to you? No, and, and that's, that's what I mean. Because when I, you know, for myself, when I look, um, you know, I don't look at black or white. I look at Americans. Who's going to run who, you know, what the best candidate is. Can we, uh, um, what the best candidate is and who has the values and, and who's, you know, who's, you know, party's going to put a, can a good candidate up. I mean, I believe that Texas has shown, you know, even right now that, that Democrats, every time there's a situation with redistricting, I mean, if they're not winning, it's lawsuits. And so, um, you know, it's always playing, you know, what, what in my opinion is, you know, always, you know, if they don't, if they can't win at the ballot box, then let's try to win in the courts. And I think the courts have had um, a part in that, because it's not clear as to how to draw lines, they have said they, they gave it back to, to them and said, you know, fix it. Okay, how do we fix it? And then it comes back, and they did what they were told to do, and then it still gets said that it's still racist. You know, that that they're discriminatory. So, um, um, like I said, I think it's it's um, it's a matter of principle. I think it's it's a matter of values. And, and again, I'm going to repeat that as far as the Republican Party, um, in my opinion, it is not a matter of um, race, but what it is, is political. And I think that, that we do, um, you know, have a right, the, the, the legislature has a right for them to draw lines that are going to benefit them politically. Mm -hmm. can, I, and, can I just briefly uh, like, jump yeah, in? Sure. I, mean, I, I do think, you know, I mean, one thing that's hard with redistricting, you know, is... Um, you know, we do use districts, right? And so there are sort of effects and like some somebody is not going to be happy. We don't have proportional representation like in Israel where you just vote for the party and whoever, whichever party gets the most votes nationally wins. Um, but that doesn't mean that like anything goes, right? I mean, I do think that it is important when you talk about values to go back to like the framers, right? John Adams famously said that uh, our Congress, our state legislature should look like an exact portrait, a miniature of the people as a whole. Um, as much as possible, and, and, and in other words, that everyone should sort of be at the table. And if key groups aren't at the table in sort of their weight, that's a problem because really important things get made in the pink dome down the street, um, and you know you don't have everybody sort of at the table. So like, go back to like 1960 before one person one vote. Los Angeles County had 40% of the population of California, but only one state senator because every county got a senator. And so that's 2%, 2.5% of the California Senate was representing Los Angeles. So the, the California Senate didn't look like the people of California. It was much more rural. It was much more sort of dominated you know, by, by different interests and not by the, the new growing suburbs and the population. But, and you have something similar when you have this sort of gerrymandering and you underrepresent Latinos and African-Americans, um, who, after all, are the fastest growing part of, of Texas's population. And if you thought last decade was great in terms of its Latino population and, and African-American population growth, this decade has even gotten faster, right? You know, the, the, the white population growth has slowed down even more than over the last decade. And it, it is remarkable that there has been no percentage increase of the number of Latinos in the congressional delegation since 1970. Mm -hmm. And, um, uh, or former, oh, did, did you want to um, jump in there? I was waiting for a new question. Or are you, <laughs> <laughs> um, well, um, well uh, I, I do want to talk about, um, it seems like we're, we're at this interesting time now. I, I, well, I guess the question, uh, one of the big questions a lot of people might have is why 
is this taking so long, um, you know, for some of these cases to cycle through the courts? Um, I mean, a lot of these, well, voter ID and um, the redistricting maps, like these, these all started in uh, 2011. And, um, you know, so we got, we got six years and, and we don't even seem like we're, we're near um, a remedy. Um, and um, uh, part of the reason, I guess I would say, w would you say that that's, um, uh, Michael, part of um, the, the effects of the Supreme Court's uh, 2013 ruling um, um, that uh, took Texas off that, that list of states that yeah. need federal um, approval to change their election? Uh, well, I, I would say welcome to Texas, yeah. right? I mean, yeah. this is like Texas has like long, a long history of really protracted litigation over redistricting. You know, in, in the 1990s, there were special elections in 1996 um, because maps got struck down that late. This year, or this decade, we're probably even setting a record because it's possible that we there won't be final maps until the 2020 election, right? And it's uh, remarkable that maps that could be unconstitutional will have been used for four out of the five elections during the course of a decade. Um, and that really just goes to show you like the, the problem with leaving hand, redistricting in the hands of a single party, right? You, you only have this sort of problem when one party gets to make all of the decisions, right? When not everyone is at the table. Um, and, you know, where you have one party controlling the legislature and the governorship, you have um, really protracted litigation. You have a lot of disproportionately unrepresentative maps. Um, in contrast to that to a state like California, which used to have really big problems with its maps, um, but doesn't anymore because they have a redistricting commission where Democrats, Republicans, and independents sit on the commission. And to approve a map, you have to have Republicans, Democrats, and independents each separately approve the map. And so the maps end up being much more balanced, much fairer, um, much more representative. And both Republicans and Democrats will tell you, they have to, I've talked to them, that they think the system works much better. And uh, uh, Bert, Bert, I'm wondering if you, you know, uh, um, when you were speaking before, uh, you kind of indicated that uh, in talking about this messy redistricting process, you thought maybe there was some reason to, to change the way the state operates. I mean, what, what would you, um, propose um, to, to change the status quo, if you would? Well, <clears throat> I think that the idea of uh, some sort of independent party looking at it based on the algorithms and the computerizations of presumed districts and then have to kind of go through that process of fixing it and have a shorter process. I think it's, uh, it's, it's sad as that the litigation process takes so long. I don't care how much somebody wants to fight, whether it's the plaintiffs or the, de or the defendants, but the idea that it would drag on this long, I never really would have thought it would go on that long. I thought it'd be two or three years, maybe tops, and it would all be settled, and we'd go through the rest of the decade and go through this, but it keeps dragging out. Well, it's not just because of the, the efforts of the uh, litigation from by the state of Texas or the, or the uh, plaintiffs. It's just that the, the litigation system takes so long, and I'm a lawyer. And I think it takes way too long. No, a, baby, but, uh, a baby born on the day that the, the trial started in 2011 would be in the first grade today. Right. I mean, it's, it, it's not a good thing. But I do think after having done it, I had never done it before. I think a lot of legislatures, a lot of legislators are not ingrained in this system and know it. They're politicians. And they, like Eddie said, you're going to look at your district, obviously. You, this is, you want to make sure it's something you can live with. But at the end of the day, I mean, unless you have sort of a real independent system with a, with a rather um, quick litigation process after it, uh, and I would probably suggest that the computerization now is 
good enough that if once you get the information and the, and the system is in place, if we get some guidance on the law and, 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 and figure out in not only Texas but in other states that you have a presumed district. Here's your presumed district based on the numbers. You want to fix politics, my thought is you almost need that. You need to have something that says, well, we hope you like this district because this is it. Now, if you think there's some changes to be made, let's go ahead and go through that, submit why, et cetera, and then whatever litigation is for a final judicial review, do it and get it over with because without that, you're going to continuously have this throughout the country, not just in Texas, but throughout the country. And it's really hard to put in place because you're going to have legislators going, well, yeah, I'm going to give up my, I'm going to give up a lot to do that. And they're not willing to do it right now. I think until you get more independence between the parties, independence being elected, et cetera, et cetera, you're not going to really be able to totally fix it. You can try to make it a little less partisan with some statutes. I think for the state of Texas, I think you have to start a lot earlier. You can't appoint the chairman, God, you know, I'm, I'm, can't appoint the chairman the day before who has no background in, in redistricting and expect that you can actually come up with uh, really good constitutional maps, and it's all going to happen in 140 days. It's not going to happen that way. You're going to have problems. Although, on, on the, on my, in my own defense, and for the legislature's defense, I think we came up in that period of time where if you look at 150 House members, you uh, districts, you had, what, 10 or so districts really being reviewed? Nine. Huh? Nine. Nine. In the uh, Senate, you had one actually being looked at. Congressionally, you out of 30, what do we have, six? Yeah. Huh? 36. Yeah. 36. You have three or four out of those numbers being looked at for a variety of reasons. It's not that uh, uh, so I understand the reasoning why you have to say what you have to say to call it um, intentional discrimination. I get that. I, I really do. It's a shame that you can't just fix some stuff in connection with those maps without having to go to that extreme to say that and accuse anyone of trying to intentionally discriminate. But I think there is, you can go too far on partisanship, and I would agree that some the effects of that are going to end up being intentional. And that's what, how do you figure out where that is, where that line is, because the courts seem to have a difficult time occasionally de dealing with that as well. So, Representative Johnson, um, you were vice chair of the uh, House Redistricting Committee, and uh, um, how, in, in that capacity, um, did you get any sense that um, that committee was, was interested in uh, thinking of any solutions um, to change this process? <laughs> All right, well, I'm, I'm gonna try to speak quickly because I know other people on this panel want to speak to this issue for sure. I mean, I think, uh, Representative Rodriguez, you're on the committee, I'm on you? the committee. Okay, yeah. so oh, I wouldn't know the committee members that we never actually met. I just thought I remembered that your name was on a list somewhere that yeah, I saw. Yeah. Okay, so. As far as the process that we have, I agree with Chairman Solomons. I agree with, I think, everyone up here. Um, there are, are problems with the way um, that we do this. And I want to point out, you know, something about that. And then I want to speak to the proposed solution I think you hear about the most, which is this independent um, committee idea. Uh, with respect to how we do it now, certainly not perfect, obviously. Certainly has its limitations. But I would argue that, you know, at least you know, putting someone like Chairman Solomons, I still call you Chairman Solomons, it's a habit. Um, you know, a, a trained attorney who's familiar with, you know, looking at the law and reading statutes, reading cases, um, is a start, 
um, Chairman Darby, same thing, trained attorney. I have a problem with when we get so cynical about something as important as voting rights and redistricting. When we, um, and I have to say, I love Speaker Strauss as a, as a guy, but sometimes he makes decisions that I don't agree with. And putting Cindy Burkett, a subway franchisee with no legal training in charge of redistricting for this past session, I think was deeply cynical, and I didn't, and I didn't appreciate it. And I felt like um, she ducked and dodged us having hearings on issues that weren't even directly related to the litigation that we could have talked about, like the several bills that were filed and referred to the committee that deal with creating an independent commission. I feel like she didn't even want to have those conversations because, frankly, I don't think she felt like she was prepared to have them. That shouldn't be the rest of the state's problem or my problem that she doesn't feel comfortable talking about this stuff because she's not an expert or, or doesn't feel like she has the legal training to get in that conversation. It's a conversation that we needed to have. We didn't meet one time this session to talk about, I filed a bill that was referred to that committee on prison-based gerrymandering, again, counting inmates for the census, um, for the purposes of redistricting where they are incarcerated, not where they're from. That bill never got heard. None of the bills that were filed by other representatives to deal with creating an independent commission, they never got heard, despite repeated letters to the committee chairwoman um, to have those conversations. I think that's a conversation that, I mean, I'm gonna go out on a limb and say, Chairman Solomon, I think you would have been comfortable having. I think you could have, I think you would have held a hearing. If I had asked you, can we just have a hearing and talk about it? I think we would have had a hearing and talked about it. I think you were comfortable enough in your understanding of these issues to at least have the conversation, even if you had it ultimately, which you probably would have, left the legislation pending. That's all we wanted was to have the, the debate and the conversation. So that's that's a big problem with this process. Is that it becomes so um, politicized and people become so cynical about it that you can't even have a meeting to talk about these issues. So now let's talk about the panacea that everybody thinks uh, is the way to go, which is the independent commission. I'm not sure that it is a panacea. I'm not sure that it gets us where we want to go. I'm not convinced that it doesn't, which is why I wanted to have a debate about it in the legislature, which is where we're supposed to be able to, to have those kinds of conversations. We're supposed to be able to be intellectual and go in there and read books and read uh, articles and have discussions. We're supposed to be able to do that, but we couldn't. So I've had to do it on my own. And I tell you that my concern about the independent commission um, is that you don't necessarily get the politics out. And that's number one, I'd say, you don't necessarily get the politics out because unless that commission is a bunch of IBM computers seated around the table, they're still people. Exactly. And they got there somehow. How did they get there? Did they get appointed by a politician? Right. Do they feel some obligation or loyalty to that politician to do certain things? I don't know that you'd get the politics out by calling it an independent commission and appointing all the members, even if they come from all the various parties, I'm not sure that they become independent of the people who put them there, or they're not looking towards their own political careers down the road or business interests or whatever. So that's one issue. But the other issue is independent commissions, I think, in most people's minds are there to deal with this issue of, again, partisanship and excessive partisanship in the process. I'm not sure that an independent commission, particularly depending on the state that you're talking about, helps you deal with voting rights issues, helps you make sure that you built into your map drawing process not violating the rights of minorities. I'm not sure that that is necessarily just because you've taken it out of the legislature going to somehow solve the minority voting rights concerns. So what I would be concerned about with an independent commission, I would like to, you know, if we talked about that, we ever got serious about that in Texas, is no, how will this commission make sure that we don't have the same types of violation of minority voting rights as we do under the current system? Because I agree that it may may take some of the partisanship out of the process. But how does it make sure that we're not doing some of the things that hurt communities of color? 
I'm not sure that the commission gets you any further down that road. It would certainly reduce, I think, a lot of the partisanship. And I think, depending on the staffs and the people who back them up to help with the map drawing, with input from members of the legislature, uh, anywhere, whether here in Texas or otherwise, I think uh, really make a difference on trying to ensure that not as many or not many mistakes are made. And I think you still have to have some sort of final uh, federal court review based on federal law. But at the end of the day, I don't think it needs to go on six, seven, eight years, 10 years, or whatever, until the next redistricting time. I think you should be able to do it. I think that's one thing where it might help. And I will tell you that I can't speak on anybody else's behalf. Uh, in connection with the uh, independent commission bill or anything else. But having gone through this, what I did, and when I did it, you're darn right, I probably would have at least sent it to calendars. Would you consider running again? Well, I was going to say, can I just say this real quickly? But, you know, I think that the devil obviously is in the details, right? Because I mean, the way legislation looks is, you know, you don't know until you work it out. This would have been a great committee hearing, by the way, right? Yeah. Uh, if we had that. And I will say that nice. in, in my 14 years, and, and it could be, I'm not saying it never happened, but in my 14 years, I've never been on a committee that never met. Not one time. Not, not for me. I don't know if that ever happened to you in no. 18 years. but uh, So this is unprecedented. But I think the devil's in the details. Probably somewhere in between. Obviously, where we're at today is, is bad. But how that commission might look, I think, is how we might get there. But obviously, for me, I couldn't support an independent commission if it didn't have in there somewhere in legislation protecting minority uh, voting rights. Uh, you want to so, jump in, Michael? Then we're going to sir, go to questions yeah, in yeah, case so, y'all want to um, creep up. So it's, it's absolutely correct. Not all commissions are created equal. Um, you know, some commissions are not very good. Um, you know, New Jersey has a number of problems. Um, New Jersey has a number of problems, but um, <laughs> but, um, but but you know, if you look at sort of if you design commissions well, and we we're about to release a study that that sort of goes through some of this. Um, you can alleviate a lot of the problems, and a lot of it kind of comes down to like how members are selected. Um, in California, if you want to be on the commission, you have to apply to be on the commission. You have to write five essays. Um, and then the, the finalists are screened for 90 minutes before a panel of three auditors, um, a Democrat, an independent, and a Republican, and they all have to agree to sort of advance the person. Um, and that's, that's pretty grueling. So like, you know, not, you know, you know, casual people who sort of really, you know, don't, don't sort of make it through the, the process. And the, so, um, you know, you know, and then legislative leaders get to strike people off the list, but they don't actually get to pick, right? So you don't get to put your patsy in there and know that they're going to make it into the final and, and then pick. Um, and, and then there's a sort of random process. And what people will tell you about California is it, it's produced people who, you know, the idea is not to eliminate partisanship, right? And people have views, they have values that they bring to the table, but it's to produce something more akin to a jury where people are willing to be fair and listen and work with each other and be team players and reason together. And uh, the California Commission, which has 14 members, um, you know, it, you know it's, it's only drawn maps one time, but the, the commission that met in 2011, um, by all accounts, did a, a really great job. Um, the other thing that will make a commission work well is strong rules about what you have to do. The California rules are prioritized. In Texas and many states, there's sort of a lot of ad hoc rules that are in conflict with each other, and there's a lot of tradition. Um, you know, in California, there's a great deal of emphasis on keeping communities together. Um, and in places like Texas, um, if you keep communities together, like in the western part of Dallas County, you will create districts that are fair for communities of color, just because 
the only way that you don't have districts that are fair for communities of color and places like that is that you split apart those communities really ruthlessly, like in this example, which is HD 105, um, you know, where there's a taproot that cuts into Grand Prairie and there's a knife dagger that cuts into Irving. The, Ir the knife dagger pulls out Latino voters. This one pulls, sucks in white voters. Um, Let's bring your own map day. Yeah, and it's sort of... Um, but if you, if you kept if you kept Irving and Grand Prairie together, you would end up with 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 districts that you know might elect a Republican, but probably you know elect a, a, an African American or Latino would have a fair shot. Um, and so rules like just being thoughtful about the process, um, you know, you end up with something that uh, will be better, but it certainly won't be as bad as what Texas has today. And uh, all right, question time. Sorry, I've, I've cut this a little bit short. Can uh, first up uh, on this side. My name's Robin Schneider, and um, here in Austin, we actually already experimented with this with our new 10-1 council. We had people apply, over 500 people applied. We had th judges, a bunch of judges who yeah. applied. And you mind, uh, sorry. You know, uh, why can't we look at doing what the Austin model is uh, in more communities across the state and at the state level? It can be done in Texas. Yeah, I, I think historically, there was a lot of concern about some of the things that Representative Johnson um, talked about, which are, are real concerns, right? You know, commissions had been tried before in places like Iowa, which is like about as white as you can get, and the population's evenly spread out. And so there, you know, there aren't really voting rights issues in Iowa, and the, the real question was whether you could have it work in a more complicated setting. Austin's a great example. California's a great example of how it can be, it can work if you if you do it thoughtfully. This side of the room. Um, I, I kind of wanted to ask what somebody as nice as Bert did to piss off the speaker enough to get chair of redistricting. <laughs> um, I wanted to talk a little bit about the terms that y'all use that are kind of terms of arts, like packing. One of the things that, that the Republicans kicked the Democrats' tails and, on... And can, you, can you make sure it's a question? So, yeah, yeah, was um, making sure that they had more Republican districts that were only 55% Republican, but could always elect a Republican. But they would pack the minority districts with 80 and 90% Democratic so that they wouldn't even have to work for the party and the other candidates. How, how do the laws apply to that kind of thing that can cause some districts to be always organizing, 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 whereas others can really get to be very passive and still, you know, always get what they've always gotten. Yeah. So um, the way that you do these sort of gerrymanders is you're absolutely right. If you're a Republican gerrymander and you don't want to win districts by 80 percent because then your voters are being used very inefficiently, they're being wasted. You want to spread them out as, among as many districts as possible. And, you, you know, you want to have a bunch of 55 districts, 52 districts if you can get away with it. Um, and, you know, at the same time, you want to pack your opponents in to as few districts as possible. So, you know, that's sort of um, how you engineer these sort of extreme um, gerrymanders. You know, one of the challenges is today is that that's clearly political, but the Supreme Court has not yet put partisan gerrymandering out of bounds. Um, it may, it will have a chance this year to do so. Um, but as a result, we sort of have to litigate these cases using race-based remedies, which sometimes sort of fit a little awkwardly because, you know, you, then you get in this whole debate about whether it's race or politics and, and things like that and where if it, it was more clearly uh, out of bounds just because you were being excessively partisan, um, that would help. And it would help communities of color because 
throughout the South this decade, we have seen people defend bad maps, saying we weren't trying to hurt African Americans, we were just trying to hurt Democrats, and it's, it's not our fault that they all happen to be African American. So, uh, but the outcome is what's yeah. yeah. Uh, next question over here. Um, related to something Michael said earlier, I used to be a newspaper reporter, and I covered the 2011 redistricting. And I remember some activists proposing what they called fair redistricting principles. They were party neutral, and it basically said don't break up pre-existing political subdivisions. So if you can avoid breaking up a county, avoid it. If you can't do that, avoid breaking up a city. If you can't do that, avoid breaking up pre-existing neighborhoods. And I just wanted to ask, what do you all think about adopting something like that? Communities together? Uh, well, I would support something like that. Sure, certainly, I think uh, the, I, I don't. For, I don't remember the law right now about breaking county lines. There is something, isn't there, in the Constitution or something to that effect? Do you know, Bert, that says you can't break county lines? In the Constitution, there's a Constitution. county line rule. It was developed in what seventy? Yeah. Yeah, whatever. And uh, quite frankly, uh, the, the lawsuit basically uh, voting rights. The, the court ruled. I think one of the points was that the Voting Rights Act is. Uh, takes precedent over that. Yes, federal well, law if takes you precedent change, over the state. Yes. If you change that rule, you by itself probably create some other minority-type districts. But when you have the county line rule in place for as long as it is, I'm certainly not going to sit there and, and say, well, you know, in fact, I'm talking to some of the groups, that I, I've got a constitutional situation here. I can't just break the county line rule. I'm being told by the people behind me, I can't create coalition districts, but the courts can. The courts can make some decisions. So until you sort of fix the entire system, even with the commission, there's some things, some other things that probably need to be put in place to sort of ensure at least but at, some sort of minimal but outside, But outside the county line, yeah, you know, a principle, you the, but yeah. outside the county line, though, you can have a principle we that says to. that in the cities yes, and then, you know, neighborhoods and things like that. Yeah. I, so I agree with I that. think the general principle was we didn't want to do it where it didn't absolutely, it wasn't absolutely necessary. And at least, you know, it's, you tried your best. You, you did break up some communities. You did do some things you probably would prefer not to have done, but that's where the populations, how you tried to fix those districts and whether or not it was partisan or not. Yes, you end up not doing some of that or you do as much as you can, but you don't do it all. Yoda. Hey there. Um, so this obviously isn't worth spending too much time on, but I'm sure you all have thought about it. So if you could um, rewrite the rules of the Constitution or whatever tomorrow, what does your ideal system look like? Tackle that. would have been a great conversation to have. Yeah, that would have been a committee. That would have been a great conversation. Yeah. Having that chance to talk about or think about. Yeah. No, I think just generally speaking, I mean, without getting specific, because I don't know what that is necessarily, but but having some kind of independent body look at it, that to the to the extent possible is not appointed by elected officials, would be a good start. Yeah, and you know there are different models. We talked about commissions today. Some states haven't gone to a commission in part because of concerns that you know, like African Americans have felt like in Florida that African American lawmakers really were sort of their best advocates in in this um, you know in the redistricting process. But what Florida voters did do is that they strengthened the rules around redistricting. So, for example, there's an express prohibition on favoring a party or an incumbent or a candidate, and then there's certain things that they can't consider. So there certainly are different models, and um, all of these would have been, again, a, I agree yeah. with Representative Johnson. Great topic. Amazing great topic. topic. Yeah, but but let me, you know, can I just add one, one thing to, to, to note, those uh, other states like California have issued a referendum that you can change the law. If for us to do a change like that, we'd have to pass not only 
a bill, which is very challenging to do anyway, also pass a constitutional amendment, which is even a higher bar. So it's not an easy task. And uh, we got time for maybe one, one, one question, maybe two, we'll see. Yeah. How am I supposed to believe in the democratic process of this country if my voice as a woman of color is being suppressed? Yes, um, that's a great question. <laughs> Does anyone want to speak to those who say these maps are, are gerrymandered? Why do I, why, why do I vote? You, you do hear that a lot. I mean, people say, like, you know, my vote doesn't matter. And it's not only women of color um, or people of color. Even it's, you know, a lot of people think that, you know, because of the results are baked into the system, it, it just doesn't matter. And why should I turn out? You, you know, I've knocked doors for candidates and people have told me this expressly, like, you know, this party is not going to win that seat no matter what. And um, I, I think that that hurts democracy. I, I think it does too. And I think, you know, for the people that are really, and I don't, I'm not, again, saying that this is, a, this is not directed to my friend here. I'm just saying for the, that's the, the people that are, that are the partisans that say, and in this case it happens to be Republicans that are in charge right now, that's what they want you to think, right? So if you want them to win completely, then don't vote, don't participate, don't be involved. That's, you know, that's not an option as far as I'm concerned. I think it's an excellent point that we have low turnouts in this state. We've had them for years, really low turnouts. I mean, the idea that you want to have your voice heard, you're not going to have your voice heard if you only have a very small percentage of folks who actually elect your elected officials on a regular basis. Unless everybody does something, unless you get a whole, unless you get a lot more people voting, both Republicans and Democrats, you're not really going to have the elections that you really want. Um, I'd just like to say that as a woman, you just don't give up. You keep fighting because you have that right and it's a constitutional right to vote. And you need to fight, you know, for that right. And it's not, you know, again, you need to do study, read, you know, the, the history because the Republican Party has been the party of freedom from the from the beginning. All right, can we well, do, y'all may uh, disagree, but... Let's do one more question, although okay. it's got to be relatively quick. Sure. Yeah. Um, so in Evanwell v. Abbott, the Supreme Court ruling left open the possibility that other methods of reapportionment might be constitutional so that maps could not necessarily be drawn by the one-person, one-vote doctrine, is my understanding. Um, so looking to the future of voting and redistricting across state legislatures... Do you all see there being a conservative strategy to ideate or come up with different methods of reapportionment to test the Supreme Court's decision, given our state legislature's relentless creativity in coming up with policy ideas yet intentionally discriminate against minority votes? Could you ask that again? What's that? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 So my question is looking to the future, yeah, yeah. because the Supreme Court left <laughs> reapportionment open, right. do you all see um, our conservative friends taking advantage of that and seeking in other state legislatures to push the boundaries uh, so, of so reapportionment? Ed, Ed Blum brought the Evanwell suit. He also brought the Fisher suit about UT's affirmative action program. Um, it would not surprise me to see there be a movement in states to try to say that we should draw districts only on the basis of citizenship or something like that. Um, it, we haven't seen that emerge yet, um, but we're still a few years away from the next round of redistricting. But it is a concern, um, and it could affect um, how communities of color are represented, and so it's important to watch. All right, with that, I think we're going to have to close out. Thanks so much for coming. Um, thanks, thanks to these panelists, and uh, thanks for coming to the festival.
Thanks for that. Yeah, my friend. Bye.